2019 for release on the 20th of August 2019. This is your fortnightly look at manga with a focus on drink discussion and joining me as always is a hopefully refreshed and holidayed co-host Mr Andy Hanley. How you doing Andy? Yeah, I've been uh, I've been off work for for a couple of weeks, so I've 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 been untethered for such things as what day of the week is this, and and so on and so forth. So uh, yeah, I've some I've somehow managed to figure out today is Sunday to be here to record this podcast. So I guess all is well. Yeah, I must admit, whenever we had these weeks where um, we have like a weekend off, I immediately become unmoored from any kind of structure, and it's a case of oh, I don't have a podcast to record. Well, it's not, you know, it's not like it's an overwhelming part of my week, but it's more the fact that it's like, oh no, I have nothing to really budget my time against, and now my weekend is hell. So. Yeah, it, it was, it was doubly confusing because the previous episode we, we recorded earlier because of other stuff going on. And so, like, yeah, there were days where I kind of like woke up, bolt upright in bed, like, oh god, I need to read manga, I need to talk about manga, like, what's, what's going on? And then I was like, oh no, everything's fine. I'm, I'm See, good. See, the good thing about cultivating an absolutely horrific, terrifying backlog is that you'll always have Margaret Don't worry, Elliot, you'll never get to the bottom of this pile. <laughs> yeah, you get the idea. So yeah, this is our random normal episode. Um, you can support the podcast if you fancy on Patreon. Um, shout outs to all our patrons who are very kind, attractive and beautiful and who have also decided to be evil and have picked the bonus episode for this month of August. And it is, well, it was going to happen at some point, but we have been picked um, very closely to read the first volume of, uh, I'm going to mispronounce this, Glepnir? Glepnir? Is that how you pronounce that? I don't know. I think so. That, that's how I say it. So I guess between the two of us, we have decided that is the correct uh, pronunciation. Yeah, because God knows I can't spell it and I spell it differently every time I type it. But yeah, we're going to be reading that, um, which I, you know, random friend of the, of the podcast, Chris Bottoms, tweeted about when he first came out and immediately put the fear of God in me. So now we're going to have to read it. Oh, well. But we will do it for you, our patrons and the people who, you know, you, if you too want to join in the wonder of democracy, you can chuck us three dollars a month um but also if you only chuck us one dollar a month you get to hear bonus episodes like the forthcoming one on glepnir last piece of patreon business um shout outs to rob jessup as always um who has been posting lots of lovely countryside photos while he also flings a silly amount of money at us to yell at him over this podcast thanks once again rob so I'm going to be quite mean here and stake out a part of primetime early podcast audio space apologies andy so although um, it's still a few months away, um, and frankly is barreling towards us at a speed greater than I'm comfortable with, in on November sees the third return of the convention Hibanacon, which takes place in Milton Keynes. And I, very kindly, by, have been asked by the organisers to put on panels, uh, one of which will be a live Screen Tone Club recording, um, hopefully, unless anything bad happens. But also there will be a manga panel, which I'm keeping slightly under wraps at the moment, um, but I'm asked Asking if anyone out there in listener land fancies being on the panel for that podcast. Um, so if you're thinking about attending Hibanacon and would like to be on a manga-focused podcast panel, um, which will be recorded probably in some form or fashion, um, please feel free to drop me a line at the usual sort of contact details, you know, the Screen Tone Club, um, Twitter, the email address, etc. Um, that would be greatly appreciated and I can fill you in on all juicy details. Um, but moving on, 
back to the normal show, we have returning champions. Um, did we actually looking at our document? Did we already cover this last episode, Andy? Or no, I... we didn't. I think we 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 talked about it. I can't remember whether you said you'd read it at that point in time, and I said I was planning to read it during my my two weeks off, and and I did read it because I'm good like that. Okay, no, go ahead. I would like to hear. I, even if I did talk about it already, I'd like to hear another opinion or um, viewpoint on this. So please take it away. Um, with returning champion, our dreams at dusk, volume two. Yes, indeed. So, yeah, so we, we talked about volume one of that uh, a little while ago now. Um, and I think we, we both had plenty of, of good things to say about it. It's, it's a very interesting series that kind of tackles interesting issues. Um, volume one is primarily very much around the the main character, Kaname, uh, kind of, you know, dealing with his, his sexuality and his, and his kind of, uh, his, his interest in, in boys. Um, and, you know, what, what that meant for, for him. Um, and volume two is, is kind of, uh, it's kind of quite refreshing on on a couple of levels because I mean, firstly, it, it shifts its focus to uh, to one of the other characters who are kind of part of this sort of drop in center, um, and it's kind of a junior high school student uh, called uh, Misola Shuji. Um, and the, the first kind of good thing about that is it actually lets Kaname kind of spread his wings as the main character and actually care about things other than himself. Like the first volume is very much a massive preoccupation with his own issues, quite understandably, because you know there are. A massive deal to him. Uh, whereas the second volume actually lets him kind of look at, at, at other people's lives and, and kind of use some of his own recent experiences to kind of like to, to shape himself and the way he tries to help others. Um, and when it comes to Misola, um, basically it's kind of revealed that uh, although he is, uh, you know, he, he is a, a, a junior high school boy, um, he likes to dress in, in girls' clothing. And he's basically, this could have been a very simple kind of volume that could have just dropped in a character said, hey, this character is transgender, let's explore these issues. But actually, like, it's very explicit about saying, like, hey, this character don't doesn't really know how they identify yet. Like, there's, there's a whole kind of part of, of this volume that kind of talks about, like, hey, like, having a label of what you are or, like, what you identify as can be useful but it's also very restrictive like you know don't feel, you shouldn't feel like you have to fit into this very specific category this very specific name that somebody has for you know for, for your you know sexual or gender identification mm. um, and so uh, sorry sorry no um sorry andy but it does an awful lot of kind of dispelling the idea of if the if x then y it's like hey i do this but that doesn't give me this label or i say this but that doesn't immediately follow this and you know, on both sides of the divide of, you know, Kaname um, trying to get grips with himself and also um, Shuji trying to also get to grips with himself, it makes for a very potent cocktail of both of them getting to grips with everything involved. Like, if anything, it's very powerful in how both of them are very, very fascinating characters, but also extremely imperfect, which frankly makes it far more interesting than being like you know, an introduction 101 to cross-dressing sort of idea. Sorry, Andy, I cut you off, but I wanted yeah. to mention that. But no, no, you're, you're absolutely like that was uh, that was kind of what I was, I was going to say is like one of the interesting things that it does is I, it, it, there's some really good back and forth between those two characters, which is kind of helped by Shuji being kind of a, a bit... A bit blunt, a bit of a loud mouth at a times. A brat. Like, yeah, he is He is very much a, a brat in places. But, like, that actually kind of serves things quite well because, uh, you know, a, a lot of uh, the other characters in this show to varying extents kind of, like, you know, tiptoe around things and leave people be to kind of 
figure out their own problems and their own solutions whereas Juju's kind of not interested in that he's quite happy to like blurt out like well, what's up with you basically um and there, there are some really good kind of exchanges especially as kind of Kaname comes out of his shell and like I think actually feels all the more comfortable that somebody is willing to kind of like call him out and say okay well you're seemingly like a gay dude like what's up with you and kind of like gives him an outlet where he can talk openly about that stuff um, and, you know, that that kind of works in both directions because it then allows him to kind of, like, probe at uh, kind of, you know, what, what Shuji's deal is and kind of, like, you know, which clearly he hasn't figured it out for himself. Um, and, yeah, like, I mean, it's it's a really interesting volume as well because it, it seems like it's all set to kind of wrap up nicely with a bow of, like, you know, Shuji kind of gets to, to come out of his shell a bit, like, he gets to, to go out to this kind of firework display, you know, kind of like dressed in, in girls clothing, which is kind of like a, a big, a big deal, a big progression for him. But then it all kind of like falls apart at the end as kind of a reminder that like, Hey, this stuff isn't all that simple. Like Kaname kind of like fumbles what he's trying to do and kind of oversteps his bounds. And the whole thing kind of, you know, there's, there, there is progress made, but it's very much not the kind of like clean tied up with a bow and they all lived happily ever after kind of ending that again, that another manga might try. Like, uh, I feel like a lot of other series would, would use this as kind of a jumping off point of like, yep, yeah, that character's problems are fixed. Everything is great. Whereas it's just like, no, this is just like one very much a case of like three steps forward, two steps back on a very long and circuitous journey. For, for for both of these characters in, in various ways in terms of like coming to terms with themselves and kind of what they want out of their futures and like I think there's something really valuable actually from kind of seeing things end as far as the second volume goes in that fashion where it's just like you know stuff stuff has happened people have kind of moved forward somewhat but also there's still a lot left to, to be worked through yeah i think the most fascinating part of it at least personally there's like a macro and a micro level i suppose the macro one is that this entire arc basically slots nicely into the volume size of this volume of manga i don't know if that is intended when it was being written chapter by chapter but it's really wild how like this standalone volume almost exists as an artifact of this storyline in itself like it makes it a real doozy frankly like reading through it i thought oh this is an interesting new character and a new sort of angle on things and oh man this thing's going to the races for the length of this volume and it gets to the end and you think well you know this is an ending of sorts it's extremely messy which you know you mentioned that other authors would probably find a way to try and make an, a clean out or tie up the bow and this feels like much more accomplished and much more bloody difficult quite frankly it's like oh yeah people are messy people are really really messy and this in particular is a complete nightmare for all involved especially when like you mentioned that both of them are happy to find an outlet the problem is that the other side of that outlet is also again another human being and who is using you as their outlet and it becomes this ridiculous problem where they're both leaning on each other and then you know the outlook bites back i suppose is one way of putting it it just becomes this ridiculous not ridiculous but it becomes this really powerful moment of oh oh no there's no perfect power balance here and this has all gone to hell and you know people have gotten hurt which you yeah, know it, is then it's, it's, is then the real powerful end sorry andy is then the very powerful ending of it is someone got hurt this is what would happen like this is the this is the ending that was going to happen like this isn't here for drama this is someone actually being hurt and everyone involved and around has to deal with that also there's like a 
backgrounded element of something else going on which is more kaname's sort of like future deal i suppose but it is the fact of like this was a massive chapter both for you know shuji and kaname and it's like i say it's a really powerful single volume like it's kind of like eyebrow searing in how i was reading it going like damn this this series is not going to let off the let off the accelerator is it i mean i'm glad it's good it, it, everything i've read i've enjoyed but who boy like man alive yeah, yeah. I mean, those two characters just have a very fragile codependency, and then that, you know, that ends up shattering quite at a very kind of at a very inconvenient moment, quite frankly, for for all concerned. But also in a in a way that is not that surprising because you know those two have kind of like teeter on the brink of you know they're 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 good for each other in a lot of ways, but like there there is so much. There is so much more there that is is liable to come crashing down around them that yeah, when it does, it's kind of it's it's really not that surprising. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm kind of curious as to to what what the deal is going to be with the whole kind of like Kaname thing and kind of like you know the the apple of his eye because there's there's some there's some movement there and it's like that's the one thing that almost feels like it's gearing up to be a sort of you know, more idyllic kind of story, but it's like having seen how this series handles everything else, like I find it very hard to believe that that's suddenly going to be some kind of like, you know, oasis of like, oh, isn't this all lovely and sweet? Because that isn't what this series seems like it wants to deal with and uh, and, and for the better, to be quite frank. Oh, totally. Yeah, it's like if you drew a direct line of the events you mentioned like you could it could be bullet points on shoujo manga number 420 um but in this series like i i'm already kind of excited to see what it does with it given that i know it handles all of it well um but yeah there's there's enough still like question marks that hanging over that interesting to see what happens next like for for everyone involved um maybe tchaikovsky sam will finally do something who knows? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it feels if if he doesn't get like a volume like this, I'm going to be real disappointed because, like, yeah, I, I every time he appears, I find myself fascinated. <laughs> like, I want to, I want to know what this guy's deal is. Like, can we please, can we please do a little bit of, of deep diving into to what's up with him? Yeah, he's the gag manga spinoff. Sorry, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, our dreams at dust volume two. I haven't checked when volume three comes out, um, but yeah, but consider it already purchased. Quite frankly, indeed. Yeah. Plus, I, th- I, I think it's only four volumes. This thing, like, that's the part that's got me excited. Honestly, is the fact that there's a very definite hard end to this, and it's like, oh man, this is going to end in two volumes, and it's packed so much into these first two. So, goddamn, what next? Yeah, yeah. Like this, this is a series you could see like being dragged out forever and a day. But yeah, I'm, I'm kind of glad that it's, it's going to be quite succinct hopefully and uh yeah like i fully expect it not to not to end with any kind of like massive like you know again like uh, every, everything was fixed everything was great but i'm i'm definitely interested to see where it's gonna where it's gonna take things at, at the uh, at the end of the day i mean arguably the from my point of view at least the fact that kaname found the drop-in center and even if he manages to bugger that up for himself somehow like he still found some measure of peace and that's like a lot of development already so i'm i'm kind of good for how much the series has done already if that if that makes sense yeah i i think that's almost the crazy thing of like especially having had a gap between reading this first volume and the second like it's almost 
it's actually quite easy to forget kind of what place Kaname is in at the very start of this first volume where, you know, he's basically contemplating suicide and you kind of like look at, at where he, where he's come across those two volumes and it's like, oh, kid done good. <laughs> like, you know, he's, uh, he's a long way from being where he wants to be, but like, you know, he's, he's got things together in, in a pretty impressive fashion. And I think that's one of the nice things about this volume is kind of seeing him then come out and be like, Hey, like, how can I, how can I help other people rather than just, kind of wallowing in my own own problems all the time yeah so yeah definitely interested to see what happens in volume three um but yeah good good stuff good stuff so yeah um glad we talked about that again i can't again i can't tell if we talked about that in a previous episode so if i just repeated myself whoops um but there we are so moving on to the main part of this show um my pick for this episode um so this was the not too sneaky um long pass into the grass of me finally get finally getting to put something toho related in front of andy and saying well here you go lad um although i'm pretty sure i dragged you to a convention panel about it once upon a time years ago i can't remember anymore yes indeed indeed you did i I will say right off the bat my my, my my first note on, on the page in front of me is dot 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 it's toho bullshit question mark exclamation mark <laughs> <laughs> i mean you maybe you didn't have to write the word bullshit down but oh well <laughs> anyway so i picked volume one of forbidden scrollery um which is yes is definitely toho bullshit um the original writer and author is zun who is the which is the namesake of the creator of the toho series of the vertical scrolling bullet hell shoot 'em ups and illustrated by Mo, moe harakara i meant to check beforehand if she has done anything else or they have done anything else and i forgot um this is published by yen press and the series is actually complete at seven volumes you can buy it most easily from digital comicsology etc bookwalker but it is also available physically in a standard paperback format so forbidden scrollery is set in the world of toho and for the very quick sales pitch toho is basically a it's set in the world of gensokyo which is a kind of very fantastical you know sort of 1800s almost version of a locked away little corner of japan which has been untouched by the modern world it it exists alongside the modern world and there's loads of yokai there you know spirits ghosts you know vampires time time stopping maids um magicians you know shrine maidens gods demons all that sort of stuff and the idea behind the shooting games is that something stupid happens and then the main characters most notably Remu and marissa then fly vertically through large sheets of bullets to shoot whoever is responsible for causing a mess and basically it has a whole heap of characters in silly hats and really, really crazy costumes who generally in the form of the shooting game generally just smug at each other for 10 lines and then shoot seven shades of crap out of each other in magical battles um so forbidden scrollery um centers it a lot more in the mundanity of the human village and um contains a oh i've forgotten her name already i'm really good at this aren't i dun, 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 dun. no ah kozusu so it centers on a book lending shop, which was a common thing post-war Japan, where, um, and a library of, um, Kozusu, who is a bookworm, who is generally a human girl, um, with a pair of glasses, who has the ability to basically read or interpret into some of the more magical, mystical tomes that she can lend out. And basically, unsurprisingly, these books, um, lead to problems happening, which then in a sideways manner basically are then up to the general cast of the Toho universe to resolve, mostly Reimu and Marissa. 
Um, and so it has like an interesting setup, but to kind of put my resolution first, and I want to hear what Andy thinks about the setup and the whole Toho-ness of it. But basically, my complaint, my complaint with this series is it's basically a mystery series, which much like the games, it has like a premise of, oh, bad thing happening. I wonder why. Something magical, maybe. Oh, looks like these people are responsible. Let's beat them up. Oh, it wasn't them. Oh, okay. I wonder what the real problem was. And then it goes through this stage of finding out what, who, what went wrong or who did the bad thing and then try to cover it up or who's trying to take over the world again this time. Um, whereas in Forbidden Scrollery, it does a lot of really interesting setup and grounding of different weird strange characters um you've got like mamizo the freaking tanuki goddess lady who is really spooky um and a few other characters who are like big heavyweight deals in toho universe um but basically the problem is that it has absolutely zero way of unveiling its clues and its narrative and especially in resolving them which makes it an extremely frustrating read even if you're like me who is basically reading it as extended fan service to see all the characters because it has all these interesting setups well two in the case of this um volume the first chapter is basically just extended info dump to help people get up to speed i think Uh, i'll see what andy thinks of it but basically i came away from this series wanting to snap my tablet over my knee because it has these interesting ideas for incidents and events and storylines but then utterly flubs any kind of way of unveiling and then resolving them like both of them end in like a four text box info dump at the very end which is excruciating especially when it is supposed to be like a mystery series in a way um and that kind of drags everything else down like even the character um fan service the nice art the nice costume changes the magical battles that you see a very small amount of and the general mystery of the whole thing like oh why are all these teacups walking away in the dead of night but it all just it lands completely and utterly flat because it can't figure out how to actually tell its stories which is awful um but that's my kind of initial sort of thoughts out of the way and generally my sort of bottom line quite frankly but i'm more interested andy in ha- you know having now been exposed to toho, bu- toho bullshit could you deal with the bullshit and was it approachable to you as someone who is not like steeped in two wikis worth of knowledge of this garbage uh, i mean it's it's interesting to kind of to, to hear your thoughts on, on kind of why it falls flat because my assumption reading it was it fell flat for me as well but i assumed it's because I didn't really know anything particularly about the characters or world. Like, you know, the characters basically all get introduced with kind of like a little one-liner that's basically like their job title effectively, which admittedly when your job title is made to a vampire, it's like, well, you know, I, I know what job I'm going to apply for next time I need to, because um, that sounds pretty rad. Um, but yeah, like it, it felt it felt to me like I, I was kind of, I, I was never kind of, tethered to the world or characters in a way that would let me kind of really in particularly care about what was going on but it sounds like it's kind of a broader problem than just me not kind of knowing enough about the backstory to to care because my assumption was that it was very much a case of like oh if I was kind of truly engaged with these characters and their kind of broader histories then maybe this stuff would be way more interesting but it sounds like that's not really necessarily the case yeah, I mean, the first story basically involves like a smoke-based um, yokai, um, and like towards the very towards the near end, 
basically ends it, it turns into a goose chase and it then has the characters the main characters Raymu and marissa jumping around between different like key locations and showing off in this rather packed page just all these different characters like checking them off it's like oh there's a scarlet devil mansion residence oh there's the like buddhist monk characters who i can't remember the names of oh there's the residence of hell and it's all these characters that you notice but it doesn't bother to try to introduce or burgeon you with but it just makes it a tease because then the actual like mystery doesn't really have any resolution or like development which just makes it more annoying when it's like you know you you know you spent a quarter of a page showing the fairies that live behind Raymu's shrine which is a nice piece of fan service i guess and is a nice piece of flavor but is completely meaningless so whoops yeah, yeah. I mean, that's actually kind of again one of the the other notes that that I wrote down here is like a uh, resolution to the first incident is a footnote. They ran around a bunch until they fixed it. Dot dot dot. The end, which yep. is kind of like how how that felt. It was just like yeah, okay. There's there's a thing going on here. Everybody just kind of runs around and does stuff. Like it almost felt like a weird sort of video gamey thing like but not in a kind of bullet hell shooter sense of just like ah here's here's an issue that needs to be resolved you just need to check these boxes and then you know mission completed it it kind of it felt like that without any real kind of care or craft in in kind of the steps towards that resolution or like you say to actually the resolution itself because it was very much just like yeah this is this is done now this is this is no longer a problem yeah, it's real wild as well, because especially for that first story, the actual issue that takes hold is really interesting once it gets revealed. But then the moment it gets revealed, it resolves in three or so pages because it just wraps up. It's a, it basically sort of explains the source of it in, as you say, a footnote. And it's like, oh, well, that's highly unsatisfying. And the way you've wrapped it up just makes it seem like almost an accident. So that sucks um especially because you got you know especially because the main character like kosasu is an interesting character who clearly has some shit going on and you know much like most of the cast of the toho universe has some secret weird ability or power or just you know sort of side side gig whereas you know the main characters who are doing all the running around are unsurprisingly marissa and reimu the main two characters from the games who do fix most of the stuff um and they're in fine form quite frankly like you get an awful lot of good fun where marissa's threatening to steal half of anything that's not, not nailed down reimu's a cheapskate blah 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 you know all that sort of charm stuff that is there but you don't really need to know about but it is well represented but equally makes it weird where you have this off-kilter world where the main the quote-unquote main character who is driving things is there and driving events but barely actually there or involved in the resolution um which could be a way of doing it but just makes it very exhausting when it kind of like side cuts to her talking to herself in the bookstop going whoops i fucked that up um several times so and yeah the second storyline with the the you know the walking china just becomes really untethered because quite frankly i don't know much about that character the the instigating character of that storyline the tanuki lady like i i'm not that up to date on the toho games anymore because i don't have much time to play them frankly i'm not very good at them and so i know like the strap line of who she is but no no, don't know enough so basically that storyline ended and i was like oh damn i don't i missed the i missed the character tie-in of this storyline and also there wasn't a fucking translation note for suki gomo so i couldn't remember what the fuck they were and they just started dropping that freaking proper noun out of nowhere and i'm like uh what's that phrase again shit yeah, yeah which is annoying that, especially because the rest of the translation notes are half decent if a little short <laughs> so yeah yeah i mean that that was kind of the thing with with that particular story for me because like i i i kind of find the whole like uh, uh suki megami thing kind of like a fascinating little bit of 
of Japanese culture. It's like, oh, okay, maybe they're going to do something interesting with this, and then they didn't really do anything interesting with it. So I was kind of a bit disappointed. Yeah, it's it's very exhausting. I mean, how like you know, it's an interesting idea. It's like, oh, this object was loved enough, so it it became real weird. But yeah, it's it, so yeah. This is a very as I say personally, it's a very frustrating series. Even as someone who is like a fan of Toho stuff, and you know, you get to see Raymo and Marissa in winter outfits, which is really nice. It's like a weird piece of fan service about like you know adjusting their normal sort of like and you know you get a lot of good characters in motion like you get you know the as you mentioned the maid to a vampire um who can also stop time and has loads of knives um which is why she's a pain in the ass to fight in the game um you know you see lots of characters in fine form and you know they're active and they're moving and they're not just like you know one you know mug shot on a game screen but it's all kind of wasted because the storylines just don't really get going and then just end. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. I mean that 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 is kind of the the one thing that kind of kept me going through this. And and actually, this is kind of true of both of the series we're talking about today. Like the character designs are really are really cute, but they're also really expressive. Like they're they're really good at kind of you know conveying like the conversations because again this this series in particular like there's there's a fair amount of kind of talking heads when you kind of like get down to brass tacks on it but it kind of makes that work because the characters always kind of look you know animated as it were and you know there's always an expressiveness to them that that kind of made it appealing just to to kind of look at it 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 almost made me sit and think like man i'd kind of like to just have like an art book of this with this with this artist because it feels like they have a a good grasp of these characters and kind of making them look good, like giving them various outfits and stuff. It's like, there's, there's definitely artistic skill here that like, you know, I, I I don't want to kind of downplay around the rest of it. It's just a shame that there wasn't kind of a a story to to match that because then it would probably have been actually pretty good. Yeah. I, I'm with you. I I really like, you know, the art Moe Harakawa's like art artistry in this series is great because you know, it brings, you know, things that you read, things that the main um, entry you know about are text files on CD-ROMs when you buy the game or Wikipedia pages. And it brings them to life. Like you see the shrine, you see the human village, you see Marissa farting about. You get all these characters and them in motion. And it's not just like a single, like, I've I've bought a number of Toho art books in my life. And, you know, you get a single posed beautiful Photoshop picture that took 500,000 goddamn hours and way more talent than I'd ever have. But in this, you see the characters in motion, they're moving, they're adjusting, you know, sweeping the yard, you know, picking stuff up, eating biscuits, you know, that sort of stuff. And it all looks really nice and, you know, well laid out and well drawn and and good sense of shadow and, you know, sort of um, uh, presence, I suppose, is the way of putting it. Also, very good at drawing wood um, because a lot of the buildings are made out of wood. And so it's like, damn, you drew that wooden hut well, which is kind of a weird thing to notice. Yeah, which 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 I, I guess is why there is there's kind of a point in in this uh, in this volume that feels like it's turning into some kind of fire safety PSA because there's quite a long discussion about like the importance of composting and like why it's useful as a as a fire safety device which like it just felt like this was going to end it's like the the end of an old episode of He Man or something where the characters would go turn to the screen like kids don't start fires in the forest because it, it felt like it was going down in that in that direction for a little way yeah that, a little way there. Yeah, that's that that 
conversation felt real Toho to me because it basically sums up like one of the weird smug chats that happen before characters shoot seven shades out of each other in the games of just like weird smug non sequitur veiled threat blah 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 okay laser time so that's kind of how those discussions go in the games except usually a bit more mean than hey we should compost it's usually more just i will use your corpse haha so that sort of weird thing but yeah it's as i say it's I feel rather kind of let down by this. Not that I was, it was not some attempt to try and convert Andy or any sort of nonsense, but it was a case of like, man, I hope this is good and does the characters justice and it does the characters justice, but man, the storyline's bad. So I, I'm on, I'm give, hearing it's only seven volumes. I'm almost torn to buy volume two just to see if it like fixes itself and figures out how to pace a storyline. But part of my concern is that if this is coming from the writer, uh, who is who would be Zun themselves, then I can't imagine it really developing further, given that this is kind of the pattern of how he writes his, you know, scenarios. So, mm. both. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, in, 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 for, at least for myself, an intensely frustrating work. So, yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely interesting because, yeah, like I kind of came away from it feeling like uh, beyond some some like good artwork, I, I didn't get anything out of it. So I was kind of curious as to whether you'd kind of come out and be like, no, if, if you're into Toho, like this is this is a really big deal. This is really great. But uh, like clearly, even with that extra layer of, of knowledge, it doesn't uh, doesn't really do it. I mean, I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't say what my reaction would be if I was more of a fan and just you know but the part yeah the part of me that is a big fan just makes it more annoying because like i say like these are characters that are interesting and i want to see them interact in interesting ways and i was i was hopeful that this would be more than just like a rogues gallery of showing off various characters for the hell of it which it does some of but it's a case of like oh they're referencing certain characters in smart ways this is good uh but there's nothing here so yeah yeah it's it's, it's, it's just very annoying yeah, it's like you, you can do that fan service, but in a way that is also kind of more broadly interesting rather than just being like, hey, you know, look at look at these characters having their, their cameos in this manga. Like, that's that's not interesting inherently in itself. Like, it can be nice to see from a series you like of like, oh, cool, I like that character. But you kind of want to see them doing something substantial or being involved in something substantial. And that seems to be the the missing the missing step here yeah i mean if i wanted to just like fun tea time adventures with toho characters there's an entire decade plus of comic like doujins i could go read frankly like some yeah. of them i in fact have of just like character like i have an entire fucking doujin i can't bloody read because i can't read japanese which is about two of the characters on a train like basically just talking to passengers it's really sedate and lovely and 20 pages of very nice art including what was clearly the artists train fancy um but they couldn't find a way to make a doujin just of trains so he shoved some anime girls in it um <laughs> yeah i mean that that's kind of one of the crazy things for this because because i did have a moment where i almost made a note of like oh, this kind of feels like a dojinchi and then i kind of like thought about it a bit more as like i don't know like i feel like most of the dojinchi i see have more substance than this felt like it did and yeah i, I think again that's that's kind of the, the the issue at hand this is a bit of a weird cut but um there is a there is one toho doujin which i read once on a message board years and years and years ago like absolute yonks ago before hotoho really kind of blew up and then shrunk back down again um but it was basically a bunch of the characters playing 2v2 age of empires one on a lan and it was hilarious i loved it because it was clearly written by someone who loved both toho and age of empires and so made tons of really good gags that were just lined up with both of those things and you know i can't find it like i know someone translated it and put it on the internet 
met at some point in the past but have i been able to find it again no so anyway that's the sort of thing that you can totally do with these characters is like make them have a land party Please, please email or tweet the show if if you if you know the whereabouts of that Dijinshi, or or if you think it was just Elliot's fever dream, which is also a possibility. Then at, at this point, know. yes, maybe. Who knows? He even had a gag where someone was trying to do an elephant rush, which was a totally viable tactic in Age of Empires One that you could also hard counter pick. Anyway, back to this is this is a very much my strike zone thing. Anyway, enough of that. Um, so on to something else. Um, something. Also, like, frankly, from my point of view, quite daunting, given the amount of praise that's been heaped on it in the past. But, Andy, take take it away with your pick. Yeah, so uh, so my pick, as mentioned, is kind of, I, I feel like, one of the most mentioned, if not the most mentioned, certainly on like my Twitter timeline, uh, Yuri Manga, uh, Kaze-san and, well, it's just Kaze-san and dot dot dot, basically. But the first volume is Kaze-san and Morning Glories, because uh, hopefully the author decided to give every volume and every chapter a different thing after the and, which doesn't make that confusing at all. Um... And so, yeah, so this is a series from uh, Hiromi Takashima, um, published by Seven Seas. Um, and uh, it's a very simple kind of Yuri tale at the end of the day. Um, the two main characters are, are Yamada, who uh, belongs to the uh, the gardening club, ostensibly, of, of the school. Um, she's your typical kind of girly girl. And uh, thanks to kind of a, a conversation one day with uh, a member of the athletics club called uh, Kaze, she basically develops a crush on her. Like, Kaze's kind of like your typical kind of athletic girl. She's a little bit of a tomboy. She's super popular, kind of pretty outgoing. Um, and she just kind of totally catches Yamada's eye. Yamada has kind of a, a relatively long period of kind of watching Kaze from afar. Occasionally, he imagines have snatches of conversation and and kind of like you know sneaking sneaking a, a look at her in the changing room etc etc all, all the while having that that classic kind of yuri internal monologue of like but she's a girl like i can't like her like that uh which is kind of it really is just kind of dropped in there almost as that trope like it never kind of goes anywhere or, or explores that at all it's like yamada has her her frequent like but she's a girl thing over and over again until Spoilers at the end of this volume, she gets asked out by Kaze and she's like, Yeah, sure. Um, I I must admit, I feel like the one focus of that um, trope is that it it's not exactly being subverted but it gets rearranged where instead of it being Yamada being all oh no, two girls doshio, it becomes very clearly like, Oh, I do like her, but she wouldn't like me because we're both girls. So she basically inverts it in a weird way and uses her expectations of Kaze, 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 um, to basically sort of like put it on her, as it were, even without voicing that. So that's kind of why the ending of the volume kind of works really well in a, in a way, because it becomes this relief valve of, oh, thank Christ. Okay, good, cool. We can we can do this thing, kind of. So, that, you know, I know that's kind of a weird pseudo spoiler, but come on. <laughs> it's a Yuri manga. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean that I guess I guess that is that is fair. Um but so yeah, so like you know there's there's a whole bunch of of kind of like you know uh, Yamada kind of uh, fretting a, a, about the whole thing. Um uh, it, it becomes increasingly clear like as as Kaze kind of starts to actually get close to Yamada that that Kaze is 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 adorably awkward about this whole thing as well. Um and like I, I think the thing that this volume 
does the best is the kind of like awkward teenage kind of flirting slash conversations with somebody you like where like from the out as as an outsider looking in on this manga like you can tell these two girls are totally into each other and kind of like work really well together despite being very different personalities but like for those characters in those moments they're like they're totally blind to the fact that the the other individual has any kind of feelings for them whatsoever um, so that, that's kind of enjoyable. The, the other thing that I really like about this first volume is it has a really good grip on kind of like ridiculous teenage jealousy when you have a crush on somebody. It's like whenever Kaze goes and like hangs out with anybody else or literally does anything with anybody else, kind of Yamada gets in a bit of a, a bit of a mood and a bit upset about it of like, oh, but what about me? Like she's never going to pay any attention to me and just kind of totally goes off the rails assuming that that therefore means that like Kaze has no interest in her and like I I feel like that's the kind of stuff that again it's pretty kind of by the numbers in the grand scheme of of this kind of story but it kind of works well because it is kind of relatable and and realistic to how those things tend to work Mm, Um, but overall I don't know like I, I, I enjoyed reading this for the most part but also kind of with the caveat that it is pretty it's pretty light and fluffy like there's not really a lot to kind of get your teeth into I mean again like having talked about some of the even in in our last show you know where where we've kind of you know digging deep on on Blue Flag which is you know far more of a a drama-led romantic series like this this is almost a nice palate cleanser to that because it's all pretty light and fluffy there's no real drama or kind of stakes to anything that anybody's doing and I kind of enjoyed it for that but also you know it's it kind of felt like a snack, you know, it was very much just like, yeah, that was, that was nice. It kind of, you know, it it filled a gap in time. It it hit the spot, but I don't really have anything kind of like massively kind of, I don't really have a lot to say about it or kind of any kind of massive like take homes in terms of like, oh yeah, like I feel like, I I feel like, you know, I, I gained something from reading this. Yeah, I, I must admit, I'm with you in that I it didn't feel like I got revealed a res, a revolution a revelation on this series, but also I think I liked it a bit more perhaps than you did, Andy. Mostly because I'm really glad that like towards the end there is a mention of it being quote unquote pure Yuri, which you know when you stack it up against things you know that are more interrogative like our dreams at dusk or even my lesbian experience of loneliness. And you also stick it up against things like, you know, NTR, Trap and Citrus, which are Yuri, but they're kind of Yuri under a weird sheen of like grime, I suppose. Um, but the fact that this is like so wholesome and earnest really made it kind of refreshing in its own manner. And I think the main thing I enjoyed about it is it's very much a dialogue in that, you know, you mentioned that like Kaze-san like herself is quite shy about things or uncertain. I mean, even Yamada um, herself like has a lot of hangups and is very much of the like timid or retiring character who doesn't really see her own accomplishments, even though other people see hers. So she sees the best in other people, but not in herself. And you've got this really adorable sort of really fascinating push and pull between them where they both kind of meld together. And there is this seesawing effect between the pair of them. I mean, you are mostly from Yamada's point of view and in her shoes for the series but you do get a lot of camera pullback moments where you're kind of relieved of that and you do get to see Kaze-san's side of it and that's also interesting in its own way and you like I say you get this push and pull effect where you know Yamada herself is the quiet retiring one but if you put her in a corner she will lash out or will get upset or will you know go in a huff 
and Kaze herself is also like almost like silly like sort of you know retiring in her own manner and kind of like doesn't want to be overbearing is a bit spooked you know and so there is this adorable push and pull where like one of them will sort of take a step back or become comfortable and the other one will step forward trying to seek a connection and it goes back and forth like this like there's a few sort of misunderstandings like it's it's much more rather than being like oh no misunderstanding of the week we better resolve this in this chapter it's much more a case of fluid misunderstanding states of just oh well you know if we do well in this race maybe i can ask you for something ha 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 and then yamada immediately goes to the it goes to the friggin' races on that idea and meanwhile it you know it goes back and forth on that regard where expectations constantly over you know overlapping each other and it kind of seesawing back and forth on this and before you know the end of the volume where they they go start to go out which you know is only step one and there's four more volumes of this plus a sequel series just has now started up um which is actually being serialized because from what I learned from the author's note is that this is basically a series of one shots that kind of just followed through the same world and characters. And that's kind of why it's grown up with each chapter having its own title, which I think honestly really helps it, especially in these like starting out moments. Cause if it had to like fill a, fill 20 pages of content every week, it would, you know, become tiresome very quickly <laughs> and just sort of run over the same ground. Whereas being able to do these little time slices really, at least for myself, made it a lot more charming. I mean, there's, like you say, there's no great resolution, revolutions or sort of unveilings in this manga. It's just really wholesome and quite pleasant to watch these characters kind of orbit each other. And Yamada's like childhood friend, um, other character kind of kicking them in the shins every now and then um, to help. Um, so it really works in that regard. And one thing I really liked as well um, was the art. Um, you get loads of really, really good sort of super deformed or just little sort of like asides. You get lots of like cases of Yamada being a little gremlin, almost like Umaru style almost, if that works, where you get one part where she's like yelling in like yelling in shock at something and there's a tiny version of herself inside her own mouth which is really cute and funny and you get lots of little sort of touches as well as like, you know, quite realistic, um, you know, sort of... Um, uh, like the morning glories of the title get depicted and also the characters themselves are quite human scale they're not just like anime sort of like blobs they are people with limbs and stuff rather than just being like anime girl one anime girl two if that makes sense yeah yes um, yeah yeah I, I do really like the character designs and, and again kind of much like forbidden scrollery like it's, it's very expressive lots of lots of good faces lots of good facial expressions lots of good blushing like, you know. very important blushing is important <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes yeah there is there is some some very good blushing and and like there's, there's some some nice little kind of moments of, of, of comedy and, and things as well I mean again as you mentioned the whole kind of like oh like if we both do well in this race. Will you do something for me? Like it's, it, it enjoys kind of playing with some of those tropes in in a way that you know, you kind of assume even as a reader you kind of go to the natural conclusion with that, and then when it, it when it actually comes around, like what what the 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 one wish was going to be on Kaze's point, it's like oh that's kind of adorably chased compared to like what you were probably thinking. But that's why um, the seesaw works for me in particular is that element where you know, suddenly Yamada is the one who is caught out being ahead of the ahead of Kaze-san. It's like, whoops, hang on. <laughs> so that really that really works for me in that kind of push-pull between the two of them, which is what makes them kind of cute. So 
Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, I've not kind of read any further within the manga, but like I, I have seen kind of like the, I mean, officially they call it a film, but it's kind of more like an OVA, which is, uh, it, it's done a really good, nice job of kind of like adapting that art style into kind of a, the, the anime space and to, you know, giving giving it colour and movement, etc. And I, I feel like... Uh, Having watched that, it does kind of tempt me to read the rest of this, just because, like, it does... It never goes away from being quite light and fluffy, but, you know, as mentioned, by the end of this one, they're kind of in a relationship, and actually that that seemed, from what I saw in that movie, seems like it's kind of a, a bit more interesting of kind of watching the dynamic between those characters as they kind of, you know, move onwards and upwards through their relationship. Um, so I, I am kind of curious just to just to carry on with it because of that, because it feels like you know this, this is very much a starting point, and actually maybe its its strongest material is is actually once you've kind of got that out of the way, which again in, in itself is kind of nice because I, I think we've we've all, all talked in the past about kind of series that you know where the the will they won't they becomes the entire like raison d'etre of the series, and it's actually it's always nice when you have a series that kind of quickly gets the point of like okay they're dating now let's see what happens when they're actually in a relationship which is often more interesting than the kind of back and forth of the whole will they won't they thing yeah i think especially given the structure of this series where it is a set of one shots allows it to like like concatenate and crush down a lot of the intervening stuff to allow them to allow the author to hit the high points or the interesting bits so you know extrapolating that to you know now them going out is interesting to me in the you know to a great degree of like okay if you continue doing this sort of like most interesting slice like way of um formatting the series I'm sure this must be good to, I would like to see what goes from here as both of them try and, you know, get their houses, get themselves in order, basically, because <laughs> they're both like a pair of like, you know, doshio dopes, really, at the end of the day, <laughs> it's even and especially the one who think who is like cool, um, the cool beauty, I suppose, is the phrase. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, like it's it's a fun little series. Like I can certainly see why it is popular. Like you know, it's it's kind of it's pretty easy to to gravitate towards the characters, and uh, and that's often the core with this kind of thing. Like if nothing else, I kind of find myself kind of rooting for the two characters and kind of like you know hoping that they 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 get on okay. And I think that's kind of actually quite an important thing in itself, just to to actually kind of care about what happens to them and and kind of wanting to to see things through. So you know. It, it definitely succeeds in in that uh, in that sense. Oh, totally. Yeah, they're both they're both lovely little individuals, and you want to see them do well. So that's kind of you know half as you say half the battle. Um, but yeah, um, and if you are interested to read this, the next one after this is Kase San and Bento. Um, so hooray, naming schemes, both. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I yeah I really enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed it more. I was expect I was kind of daunted by it, as you say, because of the amount of people out there who are really high on this series. I think it's mostly just because it's some, nice to have something refreshing rather than you know, especially from Seven Seas, sorry to tile them with a rather thick brush, but it is the case of like, oh, yep, citrus, oh, yep, NTR trap, oh, so it's nice to have, oh no, this is completely wholesome, wild, <laughs> who'd have thought? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, cool. Um, unless you want anything else to mention about it? No, I think that's me done. Cool, okay, yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, as I say, the main thing I didn't really hammer on enough, so apologies to go back to it again, but there is some really good, nice comedic, comedic flush, flourishes and artwork. Um, there's a lot of good gremlin form, um, if that makes sense. <laughs> again, Umaru. 
So, uh, moving on. Next episode. So, um, I have pulled into my bag of tricks and I have picked out something else that I have shamefully been ignoring, even though at least three people have yelled at me over Discord and Twitter about it. Um, I have picked out Volume 1 of Hina Matsuri, which got an anime adaptation semi-recently and I completely ignored because I haven't watched an anime in a year. Oops. But I've I've heard very, very good things about it. I read the first chapter a few weeks ago and was like, oh man, when you talk this on the podcast. So here we are. And Andy, how about you? Uh, yeah, so yeah, to, to echo that, like I've, I've not watched the Hinamatsuri anime, but like whenever people have shown me or kind of sent me clips of it, it's always looked amazing. So I'm I'm kind of well well up for for reading the source material and seeing how that goes. Um, for my choice, I'm I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of continuing down the the, the romantic bent somewhat because uh, this is actually a boys' love series. Uh, is I hear the Sunspot Volume One. Uh, which uh, has a, has an interesting twist uh, based uh, around uh, one of the characters uh, having a hearing disability. So I'm, I was kind of uh, I was kind of curious about it. Um, it's available on Bookwalker and Kobo, um, and it's also very annoyingly on Kobo. They haven't marked which volume is which because it's a two volume series, and they're both just listed as the title. So uh, have fun trying to find volume one of that, I guess. God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> Metadata is hard, apparently, as it turns out. Yeah. Jeez. So it seems, and and then there is there is also like a follow up series called I Hear the Sunspot Limit. So uh, you know it's a it's a true test to see whether we can actually read the right thing, if nothing else. Limit. What kind of what kind of name word is that? Limit. Fucking... Yeah, I I don't know. That that sounds like something you put on the end of like an initial D spin off. But hey, you know. <laughs> maybe maybe you found the crossover. It's initial D <laughs> times boys. No, let's not consider that. The art is too ugly. So moving on to close down. Um, you can find our website with all our previous podcasts, as well as a listing of the series we have covered in the podcast and notes, timestamps, etc. On the website screentone.club. If you like the podcast, please tell a friend, tweet about it, put it on, I don't know, the book face or whatever you people use nowadays. Um, but yeah, that stuff really helps get the word out, really helps um, drag more people kicking and screaming into the wonder of manga. Um, other notes, um, if you want to leave a rating on those services, also greatly appreciated. You can follow us on Twitter at Screen Tone Club, where we will post pictures mostly. And also, you can email us at show at screentone.club. And personal stuff, um, as mentioned, if you want to be on, if you want to ask to be on a panel at Habianacon about manga, get in touch with me. I'm Elliot Page at Elliot Page on Twitter. Also, um, run the website mangasur.ch um, for all your manga digital storefront needs. Andy, how about you? Uh, yes, you can find me telling you over and over and over again to watch the latest season of Symfo Gear at Hannah's 1979. Yeah, like half my goddamn Twitter feed. <laughs> it's because they're all right. I well. know, but there's like four series now. Ugh. Anyway, yeah, I'm I, I'm always curious. You could you could almost be the the experiment to see whether you can just jump cold into season five because there's a lot of callbacks, but I'm also not sure it matters because it's just still crazy awesome action stuff and you could probably just like just not care about who the characters are and still, still enjoy it but that's just my my theory yeah all i really know that people have told me is seeing equals robot suit punch meteor um yeah okay. accurate okay cool good so uh <laughs> thank you very much for listening and we will see you well we will talk to you again if you're a patron you'll hear about us soon but if not we'll talk to you again in two weeks so take care bye everyone bye